Hey, thank you for being here today. Thank you for joining us online. We had a great worship at the 9 o'clock hour, had good attendance. Folks are coming back. School has started. How's school, guys? And girls? That's, that sounds great. Okay. All right. We've been talking about the church, that we are connected by design. Um, I, uh, and I don't know, maybe you don't hear people say this, I, I do. Uh, they say, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to belong to any church. Do you ever hear that? I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but I don't want to go to any church. You know, for me, that's, uh, that doesn't make sense, because the church is where we live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's like saying, you know... I'm a football player, but I don't want to be a part of a team. I mean, what? <laughs> How does that make sense? We are the family of God. We are connected by design. Now, I want to start out by kind of examining for a moment what we've all read, that the church in the 21st century is in decline. And I don't know about you, as a pastor, I mean, I, I read all the time. I, I, I want to know, what's, what's the deal here? And so, as I was preparing for this sermon, I decided to Google, right? Isn't that what you do these days? I Googled um, exactly why people don't go to church. You know how many hits I got? Thousands. Does that surprise you? So, and I was looking, I decided, well, I can't read all this stuff, but I, I did look at the first 10 or 12 hits, kind of skimmed through. Some of them were interesting. What I found there were over 30 different reasons why people don't go to church. And I, I got the feeling one reason is as good as another if you don't want to do something. And what was also interesting about these articles is that every one of them had a prescription for what was wrong with the church and what the church needed to do. Three of them offered materials that you could pay for. I went, right, okay. Um, at our best, we are family, God's family. And there's good news and bad news concerning this family. The bad news is we are imperfect and we are broken. The good news is that God is with us and that we do have a divine purpose. There, there is a reason why we are here together, why God calls us together as the church. And in spite, in spite of our mistakes and our missteps, God still uses us as the body of Christ. We are the organization. We are the body. We are the divine presence that brings new life, new hope, and love to this world. True, sustaining love to this world. Now, I've heard people say that the church is not biblical. And we're going to look at one of those places uh, in the Bible where it 
is absolutely biblical. In fact, 58 times in the New Testament, we are called together as the people of God. 58 times. It's not man-made. It's not made by humans. This is not a human design. We are called by God to be the church. We are to serve one another, to love one another, to pray with one another. The Bible even says that we are to put up with one another. Now, that was kind of supposed to be a little bit funny, so, you know... Um, and, and don't misunderstand me. I mean, there's nobody in here that I have to put up with, right? Now, we all have our idiosyncrasies. We all have our, our, our places of irritation. But it is the divine connection that brings us together. And at our best, at our best, all of that melts away. All of that melts away. We were made to belong. And the Christian faith is not just a matter of believing. It certainly begins there. But it is a matter of belonging. And that's our focus today. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, as we look at your word this day, we ask that you would speak to us. That you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what you would have to say for us. Lord, uh, we are family. And so, oh God, teach us, mold us, make us. Hide me behind the cross, oh God, this day, that this may be your word and not just my words. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. At the end of chapter 2, in this one paragraph, Paul does what any writer knows is wrong. I mean, uh, you are not supposed to mix metaphors, right? Any English teacher knows that. And yet in one paragraph, he just stacks the metaphors right on top of another. And I think the reason for that is because the concept of church and our lives together is so complex as Paul sees us. It is impossible to capture it with one metaphor, with one image. And so he kind of, he mixes these together. And I want to point out there in verses 19 and 22, five phrases that are important for us as the church to remember. He says, you are citizens with the saints. The image of citizen. And and what Paul is referring to there is that All of us have a citizenship in this world. I would say most of us are probably citizens of the United States, but we have others in our congregation that have citizenships in other nations. We have that citizenship. Paul is referring to the fact that our greater citizenship is with the kingdom of God. And that citizenship is eternal. We are citizens with the saints. Second, we are members of the household of God. He he shifts there from, from nation, metaphor, now to family, household. We're part of a loving family of God. And in this family is 
really different from a lot of families because in God's family, there is nothing that we can do to keep God from loving us. We may choose to leave that family. We may choose to uh, uh, separate ourselves from that family. We may, well, <laughs> we may choose to reject God. But the door is always open for us. God accepts us with all of our brokenness into this family. And we, in other places, it says we are heirs as if we are biological sons and daughters of God. He then uses two metaphors to refer to Jesus. First, Jesus is the cornerstone. And in that particular day, the cornerstone was the, was the part of the structure of which, of, of which the, the, the strength of the structure depended on. You always took the, the, the strongest rock and you cut it most carefully because the pressure of, of how the structure was put together depended on that cornerstone. Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. This body, our lives together, depends and leans upon the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ. His death upon the cross, his forgiveness for us. And there is no other. There is no other. And then he says this about Jesus, that in Christ the whole structure is joined together. Now, at first glance, it looks like that he's referring back to the cornerstone because of this whole structure idea. But when you take a look at the Greek, what we understand there is that he's not talking about the stone itself. He's talking about the grout, the mortar that holds us together. That in Christ, we are held together. Christ is our mortar. It is our connection. He is the glue. And so as we follow Christ, are we, and we live to be more like Christ, so our unity, our body, our lives together is stronger and more connected. It, and through Jesus Christ, no matter how different that we might be, he can join us together through his presence and through his love, through his example. I mean, take a look at the disciples, how different and complex they were. And yet, how Jesus molded them together as his disciples. And then he says, into a dwelling place for God. Into a dwelling place for God. Jesus put it this way. Where two or more are gathered together in my name, I will be there among them. When we gather together, this is God's dwelling place. When we gather in the name of Jesus, God is here with us. God is here in this place. In, in every small group, in every class that we teach, in every activity that we have, if we proclaim the name of Jesus, we are the dwelling place for God. A holy, sacred connection. 
And so these images describe the wonder of our lives together. Complex, unique, difficult at times. For we are citizens, we are a household, we are a designed structure, and we are a, de- we are a dwelling place for God with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. Now, throughout life, most, all of us have a need to belong, to be uh, accepted. And without such, we, there's a sense of inferior, inferiority. We depend upon the groups that we are a part of to give us our identity to, to some group, to someone, to some cause. Even if it's just a sports team, it is enormous. Um, you know, just a, and this is, I found this to be interesting. You know, um, just following a team gives us a connection. Uh, for example, the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know if any of you are fans of the Dallas Cowboys or not. But did you know that when the Dallas Cowboys have a great season, the economy in the Metroplex improves? What? Well, if, if people have a sense of belonging to the Dallas Cowboys and, and a sense of well-being when they win... In, in terms of celebrating and feeling good about myself because the Dallas Cowboys are doing great, it makes sense. As we feel better about ourselves, so we participate. That's the way the church ought to be. Right? This is our true belonging. This is our true identity. This is who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. We need to belong. We need the sense to fit into the world. This is the holy, divine connection. The text says that we do belong. And and that Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross, brought us home to God. And we, we live in God's house as members of his family. And at the same, same time, it is a house in which God lives. Now, we identify the church as a building. But I would expand that to say that our house is everywhere that our connection meets whether it's in a home, whether it's online, whether it is in another location, whether we are carrying our, our, our outreach to, to people in need. We are the house. We are the church. We are the structure. And it defines us. It gives us a place of belonging. This is our home. And this... Family should have the feel of family. For family members care for each other, are committed to each other, confront each other, sustain each other. For me, there's a couple of uh, identities because we're imperfect. We're a process. We're trying to do better in, in every way possible to, to, to reach out to all and to include all. And so first, time. Time that is both given as well as spent. And, and what I mean by that is that um, sometimes we participate in something even though we don't feel like 
we want to. I'm going to confess something to you. You're probably going to be really surprised about this, but there's sometimes when I don't want to come to church. I mean, I'm tired. Um, there are other things. But God cannot use me. God cannot use us unless we show up. Even when we don't feel like it. And I... My experiences in those moments when I don't feel like it, those are the moments when God uses me best because I am more dependent upon God. Second, smaller is better. Smaller is better. You know what the perfect group is? Two. When you have two people, they can share. You have three, there's potential that someone may be left out. Jesus had a group of 12. Smaller is better because that is the place where we can really become family. This whole deal about about bigger is better and bigger is better, it's just not the case. Our best place of family and connection is when we are gathered where we can truly care for each other in those small places. Third, authentic, to let our guard down, to be ourselves, to be transparent, to trust each other so that the relationships between us can grow in the name of Jesus Christ, to be committed, to be committed uh, not just to a job, but to who we are as followers of Jesus Christ and the church, to be united, Unity. And unity is kind of a kind of a it's a it's a shifting idea these days. But here for me is is where unity takes place, is where we focus on that which we have in common instead of our differences. We're always gonna have differences. We are different. In many ways, but we also have um, we also have those things that unite us, those things in common, and that's what makes us family. To encourage rather than criticize, we live in a hypercritical world. I mean, it's just like it is absolutely amazing. But what would it be like for us to look for ways to encourage, to uphold, to compliment, to look for ways to care, to just simply say the words, what can I do for you? And finally, to support our leaders. It's not surprising to any of us that leaders these days have targets on their backs. You know, anybody that steps forward as a leader Somebody is going to disagree. And our leaders need the support of our body. They need those who will pray for them, will support them, will work with them. Support our leaders that we may be the church, the body of Christ. The church is not perfect. We are a work in process. And to me, the answer 
through all of those reasons why people don't go to churches, is an employment I found that this is my church. This is my church. And basically the poem states that all of us should be working to be the church that we are looking for. It goes like this. This is my church. It is comprised and depends on people like me. It will be friendly if I am. It will do great work if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I'm generous. It will bring others into the fellowship if I bring them. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things I want my church to be. Church is not perfect. We have a host of flaws. And we will be lost until we embrace that the church is a continuing effort to connect to each other rather than a collection of separate individuals. We are part of God's family. And things get done only when we do our part. No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. Paul said, so then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. It wasn't too long after Paul wrote these words that the Roman Empire decided that they were going to stamp out this movement called Christian followers of Jesus, Christianity. And so they began to arrest Christians and throw them in jail and into the Colosseum to be torn apart by lions and other gladiators. They weren't very hospitable to Christians. They were putting them up on stakes, burning them, crucifying them, and executing them in the most horrible ways. In that period of time, the church grew at such a rapid pace that those outside of the church were amazed. The historian Josephus, which he was a Jew, but really he was more secular in in the way that he uh, recorded his history, he said this was the reason for the growth of the Christian church during that time of persecution. Behold how they love one another. It was the place where people would go to feel love, to know love, to experience hope. My dream for First Methodist Carrollton is that we will be known not for our size, not for our sermons, not for our singing, not for our strategy, not for our buildings, but for our love. Our love for each other and our love for those outside these walls. Because frankly... That's what the church is all about. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
loving God and loving each other. Mother Teresa spent her life working, as many of you know, with the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India. And she once um, was asked, how do you handle all the death and disease on a daily basis? How do you do all the tough things when it comes to serving? And her answer was, every person I bathe, every person I bandage, I imagine seeing the face of Jesus, and I do it for him. May this be our goal in all that we do. To see the face of Jesus and to do it all for him. There's a lot of reasons people don't go to church. But in spite of our faults, the church, when it lives and shares the name of Jesus, has always been, is, and will always be the world's greatest hope. Let us make it so. Amen.